0: Book two. Chapter nine of Sybil or the Two Nations by Benjamin Disraeli. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. When Gerard and his friend quitted the convent, they proceeded at a brisk pace into the heart of the town. The streets were nearly empty, and with the exception of some occasional burst of brawl or merriment from a beer-shop, all was still the chief street of mowbray called castle street after the ruins of the old baronial stronghold in its neighbourhood was as significant of the present civilisation of this community as the haughty keep had been of its ancient dependence the dimensions of castle street were not unworthy of the metropolis it traversed a great portion of the town and was proportionately wide its broad pavements and its blazing gaslights indicated its modern order and prosperity while on each side of the street rose huge warehouses not as beautiful as the palaces of venice but in their way not less remarkable magnificent shops and here and there though rarely some ancient factory built among the fields in the infancy of mowbray by some mill-owner not sufficiently prophetic of the future or sufficiently confident in the energy and enterprise of his fellow-citizens to foresee that the scene of his labours would be the future eyesore of a flourishing posterity pursuing their course along castle street for about a quarter of a mile gerard and stephen turned down a street which intersected it and so on through a variety of ways and winding lanes till they arrived at an open portion of the town a district where streets and squares and even rows disappeared and where the tall chimneys and bulky barrack-looking buildings that rose in all directions clustering yet isolated announced that they were in the principal scene of the industry of mowbray crossing this open ground they gained a suburb but one of a very different description to that in which was situate the convent where they had parted with sybil this one was populous noisy and lighted it was saturday night the streets were thronged an infinite population kept swarming to and fro the close courts and pestilential cul-de-sacs that so continually communicated with the streets by narrow archways like the entrance of hives so low that you were obliged to stoop for admission while ascending to these same streets, from their dank and dismal dwellings by narrow flights of steps, the subterraneous nation of the cellars poured forth to enjoy the coolness of the summer night and market for the day of rest. The bright and lively shops were crowded, and groups of purchasers were gathered round the stalls, that by the aid of glaring lamps and flaunting lanthorns displayed their wares. "'Come, come, it's a prime piece,' said a jolly-looking woman, who was presiding at a stall, which, though considerably thinned by previous purchases, still offered many temptations to many who could not purchase. "'And so it is, Widow,' said a little pale man, wistfully. "'Come, come, it's getting late, and your wife's ill. You're a good soul. We'll say fivepence a pound, and I'll throw you the scrag-end in for love.' "'No butcher's meat to-morrow for us, Widow,' said the man and why not neighbour with your wages you want to live like a prize-fighter or the mayor of mowbray at least wages said the man i wish you may get em those villains shuffle and screw have sarved me with another bait ticket and a pretty vigour too oh the carnal monsters exclaimed the widow if their day don't come the bloody-minded knaves and for small cops too small cops be hanged AM I THE MAN TO SEND UP A BAD-BOTTOMED COP, WIDOW carry? YOU SENT UP FOR SNICKS. I HAVE KNOWN YOU MAN AND BOY, JOHN HILL, THESE TWENTY SUMMERS, AND NEVER HEARD A WORD AGAINST YOU TILL YOU GOT INTO SHUFFLE AND SCREW'S MILL. OH, THEY ARE A BAD YARN, JOHN. THEY DO US ALL, WIDOW. THEY PRETENDS TO GIVE THE SAME WAGES AS THE REST, AND WORKS IT OUT IN FINES. YOU CAN'T COME AND YOU CAN'T GO, BUT THERE'S A FINE. YOU'RE NEVER PAID WAGES, BUT THERE'S A BAIT TICKET i've heard they keep their whole establishment on factory fines soul alive but those shuffle and screw are rotten snicky bad yarns said mistress carey now ma'am if you please fivepence, halfpenny. no ma'am we've no wheel left Wheel, indeed you look very like a soul as feeds on wheel," continued mrs carey in an undertone as her declining customer moved away well it gets late said the widow and if you like to take this scrag end home to your wife neighbour hill we can talk of the rest next saturday and what you will sir said the widow with a stern expression to a youth who now stopped at her stall he was about sixteen with a lithe figure and a handsome faded impudent face his long loose white trousers gave him height he had no waistcoat but a pink silk handkerchief was twisted carelessly round his neck and fastened with a very large pin, which, whatever were its materials, had unquestionably a very gorgeous appearance. A loose frock-coat of a coarse white cloth, and fastened by one button round his waist, completed his habiliments, and with the addition of the covering to his head, a high-crowned, dark-brown hat, which relieved his complexion, and heightened the effect of his mischievous blue eye. "'Well, you need not be so fierce, Mother Carey.' said the youth, with an affected air of deprecation. "'Don't mother me,' said the jolly widow, with a kindling eye. "'Go to your own mother, who is dying in a back cellar without a winder, while you've got lodgings in a two-pair.' "'Dying? She's only drunk,' said the youth. "'And if she is drunk,' rejoined Mrs. Carey, in a passion, "'what makes her drink but toil, working from five o'clock in the morning to seven o'clock at night, and for the like of such as you?' "'That's a good one,' said the youth. "'I should like to know what my mother ever did for me, "'but give me treacle and laudanum when I was a babby, "'to stop my tongue and fill my stomach, "'by the token of which, as my gal says, "'she stunted the growth of the prettiest figure in all Mowbray.' "'And here the youth drew himself up, "'and thrust his hands into the side pockets of his pea-jacket. "'Well, I never,' said Mrs. Carey. "'No, I never heard a thing like that. "'What, not when you cut up the jackass and sold it for veal cutlets, mother?' "'Hold your tongue, Mr. Impurrence,' said the widow. "'It's very well known you're no Christian, and who'll believe what you say?' "'It's very well known that I'm a man what pays his way,' said the boy, "'and don't keep a huckster stall to sell carrion by starlight, "'but live in a two-pair, if you please, and has a wife and family, or is good.' "'Oh, you aggravating imp!' exclaimed the widow in despair. "'unable to wreak her vengeance on one who kept in a secure position "'and whose movements were as nimble as his words. "'Why, Madame Carey, what has Dandy Mick done to thee?' said a good-humoured voice. "'It came from one of two factory girls who were passing her stall and stopped. "'They were gaily dressed, a light handkerchief tied under the chin, "'their hair scrupulously arranged, they wore coral necklaces and earrings of gold.' ah it is you my child said the widow who was a good-hearted creature the dandy has been giving me some of his imperance but i meant nothing dame said mick it was a joke only a joke well let it pass said mrs carey and where have you been this long time my child and who's your friend she added in a lower tone well i have left mr trafford's mill said the girl That's a bad job, said Mrs. Carey, for those Traffords are kind to their people. It's a great thing for a young person to be in their mill. So it is, said the girl, but then it was so dull. I can't stand a country life, Mrs. Carey. I must have company. Well, I do love a bit of gossip myself, said Mrs. Carey, with great frankness. And then I'm no scholar, said the girl, and never could take the learning, and those Traffords had so many schools. "'Learning is better than house and land,' said Mrs. Carey, "'though I'm no scholar myself. But then, in my time, things was different. "'But young persons—' "'Yes,' said Mick. "'I don't think I could get through the day if it weren't for our institute.' "'And what's that?' asked Mrs. Carey, with a sneer. "'The shoddy court literary and scientific, to be sure,' said Mick. "'We have got fifty members and taken three London papers— one northern star and two moral worlds and where are you now child continued the widow to the girl i am at wiggins and webster's said the girl and this is my partner we keep house together we have a very nice room in arbor court number seven high up it's very airy if you will take a dish of tea with us to-morrow we expect some friends i take it kindly said mrs carey and so you keep house together all the children keep house in these days times has changed indeed and we shall be happy to see you mick and julia if you are not engaged continued the girl and she looked at her friend a pretty demure girl who immediately said but in a somewhat faltering tone oh that we shall and what are you going to do now caroline said mick well we had no thoughts but i said to harriet as it is a fine night, let us walk about as long as we can, and then to-morrow we will lie in bed till afternoon. "'That's all well enough in winter, with plenty of baccy,' said Mick. "'But at this season of the year I must have life. The moment I came out I bathed in the river, and then went home and dressed,' he added in a satisfied tone, "'and now I am going to the temple. I'll tell you what, Julia has been pricked to-day with a shuttle. Tis not so much, but she can't go out. I'll stand treat, and take you and your friend to the temple.' "'Well, that's delight,' said Caroline. "'There's no one does the handsome thing like you, Dandy Mick, and I always say so. Oh, I love the temple, tis so genteel. I was speaking of it to Harriet last night. She never was in there. I proposed to go with her, but—two girls alone? You understand me. One does not like to be seen in these places, as if one kept no company.' "'Very true,' said Mick, "'and now we'll be off. Good-night, Widow.' "'You'll remember us to-morrow evening,' said Caroline. Tomorrow morrow evening? The temple!' murmured Mrs. Carey to herself. "'I think the world is turned upside-downwards in these parts. A brat like Mick Radley to live in a two-pair, with a wife and family, or as good as he says. And this girl asks me to take a dish of tea with her and keeps house.' Fathers and mothers goes for nothing, continued Mrs. Carey, as she took a very long pinch of snuff and deeply mused. Tis the children gets the wages, she added, after a profound pause, and there it is. End of Book Two, Chapter Nine